Music Witch, the podcast. Oh, you're you're mute. There we go. Well, that would be a problem. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me. Oh, hell yeah. Do you, are you using video as well? Um, are you comfortable with using video? We can be on or off video either yeah, way. Whatever you, whatever you want. I'm just going to like not have such a gross angle. Oh, <laughs> I'm like in a snowsuit. No, it's not gross at all. But are you getting hit with this weather right now? Because it's terrible here with the snow. Oh, where are you? I'm just in Philly, in Philadelphia. Oh, in New Hampshire? Or yeah, somewhere? no, I don't have any weather yet. Oh, okay. Um, I just had to walk my dog. And it took longer than I thought because of all like the snow walking. Okay, I'm going to put you like, okay. wait, so this is kind of like a weird, what have I done? This is like literally, I'm putting you on an inflatable. I'm on a balloon. You're on an inflatable. This is really silly of me. I have a better idea. Okay, if the so energy is weird, we can also just do like an audio interview. I'm really okay with that too. Oh no, I got this. I got this. I'm a person. The trash can is going to work. Okay. The trash can is stable. Good. I'm a grown up. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Stable trash mm -hmm. can. Stable trash can. Are you good? You feeling good? Yep. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. I love your space, by the way. Oh, cool. Thank you. Um, suit. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's just appropriate for the weather. I think, yeah. um, I text my kid really quick that. To oh, sure. Okay. Done. I was gonna, um, start with like a different, I do want to get back to your kind of, uh, like what is your philosophy and the story of how you maybe came to do the kind of work that you do. But another question I wanted to ask, uh, and since your daughter came up was that you are doing a comedy show with her. And I've also seen some of your other content that she's in. And, um, just as like a very surface level observation, she seems very wise, <laughs> like wiser than her years, but how did that idea for go to your womb come about? And like, what was, um, the experience of, I don't know, putting that show together and like performing with her? Okay, that's a really interesting question. Um, so I've been doing stand-up comedy for a long time and I had a friend ask me to do a Mother's Day show. And I was a bit hemming and hawing about it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I do a Mother's Day show. I was being a bit of a, I don't know what my problem was. I just like was being weird about it. Mm -hmm. And she was super patient with me. She was like, well, whatever you decide is totally fine, which was making me hem and haw even more. I, I have no idea. And then this friend said, oh, it would be interesting if you did something with your daughter. Cause she had seen um, my daughter be in some of the videos I had done. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it would kind of be funny to reenact our birth. Like her birth. <laughs> You know, and I was like, well, that's a really funny concept. And so I just had this idea of us reenacting her birth and that she would play all the characters in the birth story okay. and I would tell the story. So she would have like live costume changes of playing the doctor, playing her dad, playing the nurses. And then we would like reenact the part where she like comes out of me. And I just like thought that was funny. And so we ended up 
doing that for the Mother's Day show. And it was, it actually was really fun and it was really funny. And then the same friend who had booked the show, she said, um, that seemed like the first act of a three act play. And I was like, that's actually a sick idea. And I was like, I think I'm going to do that. And then I just, the thing with me as a um, creator is like, I say something out loud and then I do it. I I will not stop until I make it happen. This is like, I'll have like some random idea, like a, a guinea pig for a pad, you know, like a period pad. Like <laughs> okay. Okay. And I'll have this idea and then I cannot rest until I make a video where my guinea pig is a pad and my gerbil is a tampon. So like once an idea comes, it's almost like a possession. And that is what happened with this concept. Like once this girl said this seemed like a, a the first act of a three act play, that's why that it was started. the idea and it had to happen. That's great. Yeah. And then I did a version of it and then I've done a couple of versions of it. And it's really become about the process of parenting and programming your child. And also the process of programming a child means that you have to really reevaluate and reexamine your own programming. Yeah. And so, you know, looking at the ways I was parented and the ways in which I parent in direct rebellion to my parenting and also the unconscious way in which I've been influenced by my parenting and I'm, you know, doing something similar. And then through, I mean, to be honest, a lot of what I've done has been the opposite of my mother and that learning why she made her choices by discovering why some of my choices were so difficult. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I breastfed my kid till she was three. And I was like, no wonder why my mom stopped at six months. I'm like, that no. was that was my Vietnam. You know, it was really intense <laughs> to feed a kid till they were three. So then we reenact this. And so my daughter also plays my mother in the show. Okay. So all of these things that I do that I judge my mom for, my my daughter then embodies my mother. And then I come to understand my mother better for all the reasons why I judged her. I love that. Is Has your daughter expressed any like existential discomfort with the show or is she like really down for it? Um, like her existential discomfort, I don't think comes from that. I mean, I'm sure okay, she's fair. funny. Um, I think the hardest part for us working together was the rehearsing. She okay. loves performing. So she really enjoys the performance part. And she really liked playing my mom. Like, she had a lot of fun with those, that role. And, um, but we, we did have a hard time rehearsing because I think when we rehearse, like the power dynamic is shifted. And I think this is a problem with a lot of like child actors is that the adult wants something from you. And then that knowledge that this adult wants something from me gives the child like this sense of power that they then, you know, unconsciously and um, maybe even slightly consciously want to exploit because they're like, oh, this fucking adult that's always ru ruling my life actually needs and wants something from me. And yeah. so it's always this opportunity to abuse me. So I feel like I'm in this like weird, like S and M relationship with my kid when we rehearse. Cause I'm like, the power dynamics are all fucking wrong wow. because I'm like, I need her to rehearse with me. Cause we're yeah. doing this show and we have like, you know, we have to sell tickets, like all of these things. And it's kind of funny. We do laugh about it, but we have hard, we have a hard time rehearsing, but then we laugh about how it's a hard time. Sure. Well, I'm sure you'll be processing that together for the rest of your lives, just like anything, you know, but yeah, I'll give her something to talk really, about. 
Yeah, well, it's got to be a really a bonding experience too, I'm sure. Yeah, I think the performing is really fun and the rehearsing, even though it's complex, is fun uh, in its own way. I mean, she doesn't like learning from me. She just, you know, she doesn't want to be directed by me. Okay. Well, she seems very, I mean, just just from what I've seen, very natural in front of the, in in, in a storytelling mode, I'll say. Like yeah, I think she's, um, I think she's very, she's not like um, overdoing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's very interesting. Um, and so there's, in general, there's what you have described as like a pseudo philosophical nature to your comedy and your content. And I would definitely myself personally call it philosophical, no question, but you, you very gracefully and somatically touch on so many things like on the level of personal healing, but also on these bigger scales, like geopolitics and systemic oppression. Um, and your content is really refreshing, which is a big reason I wanted to reach out and talk to you, um, especially on like TikTok. Um, and it, it tends to just be really black and white and so fleeting with its care about so many issues. And the reason that I think that your content is so refreshing is because you're just like bursting with light. And it seems like you're right at home talking about different topics or like opinions that do tend to kind of scare a lot of people who consider themselves spiritual. And, but you still approach them in this really like genuinely, I'm gonna say high vibe way and not in a bypassing way, but like a really authentic and a loving way. And so through all of your content, I see a lot of hope and respect for life and for other people. And a lot of very effective transmutation of that kind of energy. Um, so what I have to wonder is what is your worldview that like puts you in that space, uh, whether that's comedy or, or TikTok or like you, you have a production company, which I'm not sure if your production company is what's doing your TikTok or if there's like other projects as well. No, that's just that. me as a human being. Okay. I just like have an LLC as a, per a person. Okay, so it's kind of like you as a brand is all these things. That makes sense. I get yeah. that. Yeah, I wish I had a whole company behind me, but it's always just me alone in a room with really? my sweatpants. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, I still want to get to like, what's your philosophy and what's your whole story? But like another question I wanted to ask was I've seen some collaborative work that you've done. And then I was like... I was just so impressed with your take on on the whole uh, the whole thing in Gaza, the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and um, but anyway, that was a collaborative video. And then there's um, you just have a really robust and polished like online presence. Like your website is so impressive, and so I was wondering if you had a team that like regularly worked with you, or maybe more broadly, it's like a question of community and like what community you have around you. But I'm kind of surprised to hear it's just like is it like a one woman show? <laughs> Oh, I am a, I am like a one woman octopus. Like I do all my own wow. editing. I do all the writing. Like I do all the things. And then I have like my, my friends who I've worked with for years, like that girl that was in my, that video, Bridget, um, we've been friends for almost, we've been friends for so long and she's an amazing actress um, in her own right. Um, she's a musician, a singer, you know, and she was like one of my first muses. 
um, like when I first started getting into filmmaking. And so we would make all these short films together. And I used to always just be behind the camera and Bridget was my muse. And then Bridget's schedule annoyed me. Like I was like, let's do this. Let's do this. I had more ideas than could keep up with Bridget's schedule. So eventually that's how I ended up putting myself in front of the camera was merely because I couldn't wait around for people. Yeah. I just couldn't, I, I was too, you know, and it took me a while to make that transition, but then I just kind of look at everything I do as a filmmaker and then that is my motivation. And then I just fill the role that like I, as a filmmaker need, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, like, and then I have a, I, you know, I have friends, of course I have friends who are, um, you know, if I need anything, they'll, they'll help me, but I don't have like a team. <laughs> I wish I did. Like, I'm like always like, oh, I have to book all my own shows. I I think the thing about oh, this day and age is that you have the capacity to broadcast yourself in a way that's, you know, unprecedented. So I have the advantage of being able to broadcast myself, but then I have to do all the work to broadcast myself. I don't, you know, I don't have an agent. I don't have a manager. I don't have that. And I, I don't know why I've tried, you know, I mean, what isn't, you know, you maybe seem like on the level too, you have a significant following and you seem like you're putting out so much content that I can't, I'm, I'm surprised you're still like an indie operation. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. But yeah. that's, that's where it's at. And I just have to trust the, trust the process and I just keep going, but I've gotten used to it to just kind of being a solo agent. I would never have guessed. <laughs> would not have um because it's just so like you obviously do have a you're very multi-talented then you've got like editing skills and comedy skills and what web design skills well the website the what one of the websites this girl caitlin did for me my like tony nodge website and caitlin's a little sweetie peedy you know cool yeah. well all right um, so yeah, taking a step back, maybe I would love to hear about your just philosophy. You do so much with like somatic movement, which I am so interested in. Um, but yeah, and you talk about, I guess you talk about, uh, I've heard you talk about mushrooms. So I don't know, like, I don't know where, what, what is your framework for like approaching all of these topics or, or spirituality? Oh my God, there's, okay. So I actually was thinking about this today, this morning around spirituality and like, what is the thing that people are so tur turned off by or what everyone's like making fun of when it comes to like spiritual, spiritual people or mm -hmm. especially spiritual white people. And something I was thinking about was this kind of this, um, idea that you have to present yourself in your external form as a quote unquote spiritual person. And therefore your spirit spirituality becomes part of your identity versus like meditation is something that I do. It's a, it's a practice that I do, but meditation isn't my identity and nothing that I, you know, wear or present myself as should necessarily like be screaming or broadcasting to the public. Like I'm a meditator, you know, like that is a private practice one does. And of course, you know, I speak about meditation because it's a huge part of my life, but it's not my identity. And I think what happens with spirituality 
in the new age is that it becomes an identity. And that's where I think the trappings begin. Because if you were to, you know, if you're a Buddhist monk, yes, they're all wearing their their robes. Or if you're a Buddhist nun, you wear your robes. You are in a certain sense signifying to the world, I'm in a spiritual practice. I am in spiritual devotion. However, it's not like monks have swag. You know, it's not like monks are like self-identifying with like the Gucci robe. They all have the same robes you know it's it's you actually are you're releasing identity when you put on your monk robes even though you are in a certain sense broadcasting that you've committed yourself to a holy life you know so i do think that that is kind of the complexity of of the current spiritual paradigm is always think it is thinking it's part of your identity because your identity is an illusion that is that is the buddhist practice which i think Buddha, Buddhism is the underlying current of all like, you know, non-denominational spirituality because Buddhism is ultimately, it's a philosophy. It's not a religion. So I think that anyone that's like playing in the waters of spirituality who would, who would say I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Well, okay. You're playing in the waters of Buddhism. Like that's where you, you are. So I do think it's important to then study the, the Buddhist philosophy around identity. And as long as we are attached to identity, I think we're going to have a complex spiritual relationship. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, what? How did you first encounter Buddhism? Oh, um, I was turning 29 and I was dealing with all these health issues and someone had suggested I do a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And I had no uh, experience with meditation. I took yoga. And so, you know, I would do the, you know, Shavasana at the end, but I wasn't a practitioner in any way. I really didn't know much about Buddhism. I was very ignorant except for, you know, exposure and yoga um, which is more like Vedic texts anyway. And so I applied to this Chinese Buddhist retreat because it was the only one that was, you know, seemed available even to me that was driving distance around my birthday. Like it's, it wasn't a Vipassana, it's a Chan Chan practice, which is um, similar to Zen Buddhism in the Japanese culture. So I did not know anything about it. I just like applied and then the monks, you know, reached out to me and they were like, well, we're kind of concerned about you coming to do this retreat because you don't have a practice and we really don't want people to leave. It's very disruptive. And this is like a very intense, like, you know, uh, Buddhist practice. So we, we don't know if you're capable of doing this. And then I, as like, a human being was like, oh, I have to manipulate my way. I have to manipulate these monks into letting me join their retreat. So I was just like, I'm not attached to whatever, you know, I'm like, whatever you think is best. I'm, I'm, I trust the divine wisdom, you know, which is not how I felt. I was very attached to going. I really wanted to go. Like I was like completely, you know, just like being a false self in order to present as somebody who belonged there. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. You can come, you know? And I was like, word. And um, I got to that retreat and it was like by far the most difficult thing I'd ever done in my life. I was so out of my league. I was like so confused also. I, and you know, I was, I was like perpetually confused about what was going on and I was quiet. I couldn't ask any questions. I just had to like follow along and 
I never experienced that type of physical pain of like being in seated meditation. I mean, we were up at four and we were meditating till 10. Of course we did have, you know, walking meditation and mindful work, but we were doing like 40 minute sits. Like, I can't, I don't know how many 40 minutes since we did a day, like 10, I, I, it was so many. And the amount of physical pain I was in was, I can't, I mean, even thinking about it is, uh, but it changed my life. It completely changed my life. And I did another one 10 years later. So um, these Buddhist retreats were like the most significant, important things that I've ever done in my life by far. Amazing. And I have a different question to ask after this about Buddhism and identity, but um, uh, are you aware of like a Saturn return? Do you know what that is? Of course Stratton? I know about my Saturn return. Okay. <laughs> Why do you think I was insisting I go on this Buddhist retreat? I was like, I'm in the middle of my Saturn return. I'm freaking out. All right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just checking. Yeah. That um, was a big motivation <laughs> for me. Fair, fair. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, you were, I agree completely that like spirituality as an identity gets to be kind of a weird, it, it gets into like a weird paradoxical place at some point when you get attached to it as an identity, how do you navigate the, the kind of topics that you navigate and how do you deal with like your whiteness and how do you deal with um, the, the maybe on maybe seemingly contradictory truth that identity is an illusion, but then at the same time, um, I was just talking about this with someone else like yesterday too. At, to me, there's kind of like two ways of using identity. And one is like your, it's your ego. It's how you hold yourself together in the world and you kind of bound yourself. And uh, when you release your ego, you don't have that identity. We're all just one kind of thing. And then there's the side of identity that's like, no, it's like to fight your way through the world and survive. And like, we name our identities because they go unnamed. And that is a way that people suppress us and don't give us representation and kill us and um, diminish us, you know? So like, how do you not, how do you think about those things? And are they intention for you? Cause I know that you, you grapple with these topics. Well, I think grappling with the topic is the life journey, right? And expecting that you're going to have some clear, succinct answer that then you don't have to think about it anymore is part of the illusion, right? So this complexity and this contradiction that you're dancing with, that choreography is the philosophical journey of Buddhism. So I'm a woman, right? And if some man said to me, gender is an, <laughs> gender's an illusion, you know, I would be like, I'm going to kick you in the taint. You know, you don't know <laughs> anything of my experience in my woman's body. Exactly. However, on paper, gender is a construct. 100% agree with that. But if a man were to tell me that, I would feel I would feel as if I was being diminished and my um my suffering in this woman's body and my joy and my beauty in this woman's body, however, was being um was being devalued or like delegitimized by him. And yet I agree that genders are constructs. So there we go. There's a living contradiction right there that cannot be solved. So I think the reality is, is that when we partake in philosophical inquiry, as if, as if we will solve the problem is the problem. The journey of philosophy is the journey of philosophy. It's an end in and of itself. It's not some means to an end. 
so just the fact that you have these conversations and you open your mind and you open your heart and you have like these complex ideas and questioning, sometimes you're going to feel more connected to an answer and sometimes you're going to feel less. And then even the more connected you feel to one answer five years from now, it may feel completely different from you. I don't think the point is to answer our questions. The point is to question. Yeah. Well, I think that's right and something that I need to work on myself because I'm always like somebody who wants solutions and answers, but um, it is completely about the process and the journey. I think you're right. Yeah. You'll have all the answers when you're dead. I promise you. Yes. <laughs> you have all the answers. It's because you're in the ground and otherwise like we should be asking them. It reminds me too of something my mom used to say, which was you're not old until you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, and you do tackle like really um, controversial topics. And uh, I wonder if there are like specific strategies or perspectives that help you to maintain your creative confidence, I guess, in the face of like, of criticism and negativity. Cause I know there's a lot of that on TikTok. I know there's a lot of that in the world. There's a lot of people trying to convince you that you're nothing externally or whatever. And, um, you know, so I wonder how you kind of deal with that. And I wonder how does that change when something is really going viral over like a sensitive or like really hot button issue like the Gaza humanitarian crisis, for example, where just like everybody is feeling so, so much and living maybe even in separate realities on something like how do you navigate that and stay confident about what, what your message is and what you're doing? So I think one thing is that my objective is that I am above and beyond anything. Like I am a philosopher, right? I was a philosophy major. That is what I can do most about myself. And so what am I doing when I'm making art? Because I'm also a quote, I'm an artist, right? And an artist is somebody, what is an artist? An artist is, is using um, their intellect and they're abstracting their intellect in order to make a, um, some sort of like creative product, right? I'm, I don't know what the real definition of an artist is. I'm just like, wait, why don't I know what an artist is? Mm -hmm. That's so funny. I could like know what an artist is, but that's my personal definition today. It may change okay. tomorrow. So I make art about what I care about, about what I'm intellectually ruminating on. I mean, some people make art on what's absurd. You know, sometimes I make completely absurd videos because that's the vibe I woke up to that morning. I don't have like a very premeditated, um, way of like how I make art. I make art about like what's in my heart and what I care about and what's going on with me it, psychically, emotionally, spiritually at that moment, you know? And I think the thing about, you know, people agreeing or disagreeing with you. So again, I'm going to go back to the Buddhist retreat because it, it is a big part of it for me is that all of my thoughts are an illusion as well. And that is something I came to, I mean, any, I think any like Buddhist practitioner would say, I could have told you that, but that it was the conclusion I came to uh, after, you know, nine days of meditating my second time. And I realized again, all of my thoughts, all of the things I'm saying with my words is coming through the programming of the human condition. And that true wisdom is beyond words. It's the you know, it's the communication, it's the knowledge that we have that cannot be explained through the confines of language. Like that to me is what the higher self, true wisdom, like 
um, eternal wisdom is. The, the wisdom of the universe is not something we can talk about with our silly little mouths. So I kind of realized, I was like, oh, right. Everything I think and say is an illusion. It doesn't matter. And that means everything that everyone else thinks and says is an illusion and it doesn't matter. And that might be like a recipe for a nihilistic cake that then you poison yourself with, or it's a recipe of complete and utter freedom, yep. you know? So I kind of took it to be like, I am free. What I think does not fucking matter and what you think doesn't matter. Therefore, what I think about me doesn't matter and what you think about me doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. And to me, that was like the, the absurdity of that is funny. And so that is where I sit. That is where I always come back to when I start to get like, oh, like, no, you know, like, <laughs> like witchy or like, who is someone like, someone recently made a video. I do have a funny story about this woman who made, who made this post about me and she was literally she was like, this chick is a piece of shit, you know, like I'm paraphrasing, but, and in the post, then there was all of these people that were like, I used to follow her. And now I think she sucks. You know, of it was, like a, it was a conglomeration of like all the negative comments that people could write or think about me. And one of them, my favorite was like, I used to like her before she got all famous and rich, like the money and the fame has changed her. And I'm like, what money? <laughs> what fucking fame? Like, what are you talking about? And I was so like, I'm like in this vortex. Oh, and the only reason why I even saw this post is because my friend had followed this girl that very morning. She randomly followed her that morning. And then that afternoon, she posted this thing about a video. And so I'm like looking at this and I'm like, whoa. And then I'm like, I go to comment. She had blocked me from, she blocked me from commenting. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I can't even like comment. I can't even say like what I, I all I wanted to be like was like, what money? Like, can you, can I have some of this, this, this <laughs> serious money you speak of, you know? And so I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I have no voice. I have no voice in this like vortex of these people who like do not like me. And then I was like, I was kind of like, well, this is kind of funny. A part of me was like, this is funny. And then this other part of me was ruminating on it. And I was like, oh God, like, why do they think this about me? I was just trying to do my best, you know, just trying to be loving or whatever justification I was making for myself. So then I'm doing yoga and I'm like, it's like going through my brain and I'm just like, I'm like, I don't want to think about this. I got a, I had a show to do that night. Oh my gosh. I already had two rejections that morning. I like woke up that day. It was the new moon in Capricorn. I was like, I'm going to have a great day. Cause I'm a Capricorn, new moon Capricorn. I got rejected. I got two rejections, like huge rejections of things I'd been working on huge applications. They were like now. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and I got the post that like, I was a piece of shit. And I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And then I had to perform that night. Mm. I'm like, huh. I'm like, well, this is a really interesting energy to get on stage with, you know, I was like, okay. I have to get on stage with this vibe that I suck. And then I'm doing yoga. And then I was like, oh, I have a great video. I have a video idea about this girl's post, you know, because I was just, you know, I was kind of inspired by what she was saying in her, in her own way. I'm like, well, if I'm the problem, we're all the problem, whatever the hell I said. So I made that video and then I went back to yoga and then I stopped thinking about it because I transmuted the energy into a artistic expression. You know, I mean, like for me, videos, some videos are way more complex and like take more 
I like the videos where I edit them more and I have like more going on, but sometimes I'm just like talking to a camera and that is its own like art, you know? And I made a video, I transmuted my, you know, internal chaos into a piece of art. I stopped thinking about it. I went and I had a show and I moved the fuck on because part of me thought it was really funny that I was like, okay, well, thanks for the content. You know, I'm like, you attack me, but it just becomes more content. Everything that happens in my life is this opportunity for content for me. So, um, why I don't even remember why I told you that story. Why did I tell you that story? Um, because we were talking about how nothing matters. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Trolls and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that is why it's okay. Nothing matters what I think. Nothing matters what anyone else thinks about me. And if I'm going to get my panties in a knot about what someone says, what an opportunity to make a fucking video about it. Aquarian Music Witch, the podcast is made possible by listeners like you. To support this project, you can contribute directly through our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash Aquarian Music Witch. Or, consider subscribing to our Supercast page. With the AMW Supercast Content Access Pass, you'll gain access to a vault of exclusive content and other cosmic perks starting at just $5 a month. Now, back to the show. Last thing I want to say is when people write like super negative comments to me, it's one thing if they like write something that's a thoughtful discourse and they challenge me intellectually, that could be interesting. That doesn't happen that often that someone thoughtfully challenges me in a way where I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. A lot of times what people do is they just like attack me. Um, in some like rude fucking way. And I don't look at some, sometimes people are funny as hell. I do got to say, I have, sometimes I laugh because it's like a funny comment, even though it's like, I'm the target. I'm like, hell yeah. And if it's funny, I'll like it, you know? Cause it's funny. If someone's going to insult me and they're funny, I'm like, respect. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they're going to insult me and they're just rude, I actually like, I just, to be totally honest, I'm like, I just see their sadness. And I'm like, wow, you must be really mean to yourself. If you're going to speak to me that way, like you must speak to yourself in incredibly rude ways. And I just like feel their sadness. I don't like feel like, oh, uh, about me. I'm like, I actually genuinely am like, wow, you have a really <laughs> cruel internal monologue. Yeah. And like, I hope you heal because like, that's no way to speak to yourself or to anybody. Hope you heal. Yep. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Um, and you also said something about absurdism and, and that you've studied philosophy at one point. And I love that. I also was very interested in philosophy, especially in undergrad. And I got really into this idea of like positive nihilism for a while before I kind of had my own spiritual awakening situation. And uh, so my whole idea was like, absolutely nothing matters. And therefore, isn't that great? Like, can't you, then you can make your life a work of art. And that was really cool, actually. And I don't know where where things go in one direction or the other, it seems like there is a lot of like accelerationist nihilism nowadays where people will just be like, nothing matters. And therefore let's end it all. Let's just like get into this absurd, like let's lean into the fire hose of falsehood. Let's like, let's just like, get, you know, all die as a species, whatever. And um, that's not where I took it. Even when I really truly didn't believe there was anything beyond the mundane for like a long time. And I wonder, and it seems like you're a person who also maybe would take it in that direction of like, what a gift that nothing matters. Um, and I found that to be kind of grounding as well. And I also wonder about 
how you do stay grounded when nothing matters, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know where my question is actually with that, but. Well, I think it all matters. Everything matters too, right? It's like nothing matters, but it's your life. So everything matters to you. And I, you know, what matters to me is my memories. You know, what matters to me, the way that I connect to people, you know, what matters to me, the energy that I put out, you know, like, so just because on the grand scheme of the macro, nothing matters in my micro universe, it all matters deeply. And I'm not about to erase myself just because from a macro perspective, like there's like 7,000 galaxy, there's infinite galaxies, right? And infinite universes and infinite timelines. Like the math of like existence is so boggling that um, it, it cannot even be comprehended or understood. However, in my micro universe, like it, it matters that I eat organic, eh, you know, like <laughs> I feel better and I have less diarrhea. So I'm not going to like, that's fine with me. I can, I can matter to myself, even if I don't matter. I can matter to myself. I want to put that on a t-shirt. That's yeah, right. Good. If you're not already selling that as merch, there it is. Um, <laughs> so good. Um, so do you think, what do you think about the vibe of your audience then? And like, as far as the people who listen to you, do you think that they, do you think that they shape your content to some extent or to a, to no extent, to a large extent, or do you feel more like your content stands just as it stands and it just kind of calls in the people who are ready? Oh, to yeah. I have something to say about that. I'm going to turn on okay. the light. It feels like it's so dark. Yeah. You're getting, getting sunset there. Um, well, I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> Um, so, okay. I have a lot of thoughts about that. Good. It's that I think my audience, the people that relate to me most, cause I repel a lot of people. Like a lot of people are like, I do not like this person. Okay. And then other people feel really connected to me. And I think, I believe that the people that are most connected to me are, are people that feel like outsiders. So it's like, if you feel like a, a black sheep of your family, or if you feel like outside of the system, or you feel like when you're in a group of people, you're kind of lonely, like you're going to connect to me that I think those are my people are the outsiders. And so, because I'm an outsider, even if it, no matter, I can be, I can physically fit into all sorts of scenarios, but I will feel on the outside of every group that I'm in. I will always be like, what am I doing here? The only time I don't feel like an outsider is if I'm leading the group, which is why I'm a dance teacher, because I'm like, okay, this is the only time I feel like I belong because you all are here to like do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Um, so that's one thing. And like, I believe in the collective collaborative work. And so, no, nothing I am creating is coming exclusively from me at all. It is coming from the collaborative of the collective of what people want, need, or are desiring to see. And I think like the way that I've come to learn this is, so I teach dance and I used to prepare my choreography before I taught a class. So I would know what I was going to teach. And then I felt after some time, I was like having this knowledge of what I'm going to teach a like puts me in this space where I'm like impatient to get to the end of what I wanted to get to. And B it's almost like having people watch you masturbate. <laughs> They're like, okay, great. However, like what I started doing years ago is that I come to class, I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm going to teach. I have no idea what, what exercises we're going to do. I have no idea of any of it. 
and I have no idea of the choreography. And I get into the class and I feel who's there. And then I feel what they need. What do they need today? What's the vibe of these people today? What do I need today? Like I do not, I, the whole thing is improvised, right? Sometimes we do like very like technique based. Other times it's all improv. Sometimes we're animals. Like sometimes they're improving. Sometimes I make them come up with the exercises. Like I really just try to connect to the vibe. And then when it comes to the choreography, even though I am the person that's like technically coming up with the choreography, it is still collaborative because they're in the room with me. Their energy is in the room with me. They're speaking through to me through their tele telepathy and through our quantum entanglement. And I'm like, oh, okay, today's a really floor work day or today we're really getting lyrical or we're going to do more like sharp movement or we're going to get sassy. It's all collaborative. And so I don't think art is ever some like, oh, look at me as, as an individual. I'm just doing this thing. It's like, no, you are tapping into what the earth and what the planet and what the people that are going to consume your art need. And then you're just like putting it out there. Yeah. It reminds me, I'm in like a music background kind of field and reminds me of a guy, Christopher Small wrote a book about a concept called musicking. And it was like trying to break you out of the idea that music is something where like there's different roles, like a composer, a performer, the audience, and it tries to break you out of the idea that those are like separate things and into the idea that it's all kind of one process and experience together where you're like, you're, you're musicking. It's not like a sheet. It's not like the sheet music is like some kind of object of music. It's like, it's the whole process and experience. And it sounds like it may be equivalent in how you kind of approach your dance uh, classes. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm very into that. Yeah. 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 Do you teach mostly like improv and somatic kind of dance? No, oh, I teach like, or I teach a hip hop class. I teach a oh, modern cool. dance class. I teach a belly dance class. Like I, I actually oh. like I'm a regular dance teacher. And then I also do the somatic stuff, but I, I've been like, you know, just like a regular old, like five, six, seven, eight for a while. That's amazing. Do you, do you feel like, um, you ever had, do you feel like you're really, um, like energy center wise? Do you feel like you're in a good state with all of your different kind of energy centers and do you feel like dance ever helped you kind of get into that state or did you ever feel like an unlocking or a change in flow based on based on your dance practice okay so I was a more of like an athlete growing up I just did sports and then I got into dance in college and it was very random it was because I went to a school that like didn't have sports and um I was like, I get, I, I used to go out dancing to clubs. I would do ecstasy and go out to club. I would go to raves. I don't know if like people do raves anymore. I would go to raves. I would do ecstasy and crystal meth and go to raves. And I like to dance in that context. Okay. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll take a dance class at my college because that added up to me. And what I ended up realizing, you know, it's like that first year of dance, I was the worst student in every class by far because everyone else had been dancing their whole lives. And I was the worst. I was the worst. I was just really bad. Mm -hmm. And I went through that whole year being really bad. And then that summer, my best friend died. And it was like very, it was a accident. It was very tragic. And dance was the only time that I wasn't thinking about, well, I was still thinking, but it was like a bit of a reprieve of the obsessive thinking about her death because dance was so hard. Dance is so hard at least for me, it's so hard. Um, 
that it became like my therapy, it became my medicine. And then I danced, I was dancing all the time because part of it was like a coping mechanism. Yeah. And the other part was, it was like the only time I like kind of felt joy because there's like the physical endorphins of like moving one's body. And then that was like the beginning of my commitment to dance. So it's like, I, if I go a week without dancing, it's like, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm not interested in doing that. I am not okay. You know, it is my mental health practice. It is like, it is my therapy. It is everything to move my body and express my body and to like get emotions through and yeah, it's completely crucial. But I mean, I started later in life and that is why I teach adults because I like all adults should dance. And I think one of the things that's complex about the dance world is that, you know, like my daughter, she started dance young. I was like, I'm going to get this bitch going quick. And so she's been dancing since she was like two or three. Now, if a kid her age at 13 wants to start dancing, and they go and try it. They can't take classes with their age group because their age group has been taking classes for 10 years. Mm-hmm. But then as a 13-year-old, you feel like, oh, I don't want to be some dork with a bunch of six-year-olds. I'm not going to take dance because I don't want to be a loser with these fucking toddlers. But mm-hmm. if you're learning to dance, you have to start at the beginning. You can't start in the middle. You you got to learn your fundamentals. And it take dance takes so long to learn technique. Like We can all move our bodies which is important. And we all should. That's why I do like the somatic work. You don't need any technique to do somatic dance. You know, you just need the will and the interest. But if you wanted to like learn the technique of dance, it's almost, it's like, it gets harder and harder the older you get. And I, that is something that I'm like so interested in changing because I, I want adults to learn the technique of dance. Cause I, even though somatic work is, will be forever interesting. It will have a ceiling of your own creativity. If you like don't learn some technique at some point. I think, you know, it's like Picasso abstracted because he was like a very trained painter. Yeah. You know, you kind of got to learn some training to abstract from a, from a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's like what we learn in composition too. Like you have to know the rules and then you have, you break them. And I don't think all the rules that they say are objectively necessary to know are all are objectively necessary to know, but it is true that once you're like an expert in something, that's when you really can just do nothing like what I was doing before, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you mostly dance for performance though? Cause a lot of your TikTok is dance and then you're teaching. So do you dance in your home and kind of privately as often as you're performing? Oh, your dance? Fucking, I'm dancing all the time, you know, yeah. like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like, Look, there are a bajillion. There literally, there is a three-year-old right now who is a better dancer than I will ever be. I am not better though. What is better? We'll we'll have more like athleticism, you know, like from a technique perspective, like the, there is no, I have like no illusions of like where I need work and where I do not. Mm -hmm. However, like my relationship to dance is like a holy practice of expression. And then I just keep, you know, chipping away at the technique of things because I believe that that is what's going to help unlock further creativity. It's like the more I know, the more I can explore, you know? And I do think it's like, it's cool to learn from yourself. Like I think learning from the self is I have a lot of self practices, LOL, LOL, but I really do. However, um, learning from others is like very important. You know, I have a ballet teacher who comes and kicks my ass every weekend. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I learn 
I learn a lot from her. Yeah. Well, it is, it's like tools in your tool belt. And when you don't have, when you have those things as second nature, it's a lot easier to just draw on them absentmindedly because you needed to color your picture a certain way, as it were, like, you, you know, so it's nice to have a nice full belt of tools like that. And it does make sense to just cultivate a practice. But I also think about art. I also think about music a lot. And I guess I equate dance to music and there's parallels and then there's things that aren't exactly the same, but for music, I have this whole idea that music is really something people feel like they're not good at for some reason, when instead it's just something is, that's you, that's a human thing. And I think dance is kind of the same. Like I've said that music is something that everybody can do regardless of ability, regardless of anything. It's a human, it's any human being can do some kind of music. Your heartbeat is a rhythm. You can do music. You can kind of also do dance of some kind. Um, so I don't know, I guess it like maybe triggers me a little bit to think of somebody being better at dance or not, you know what I mean? But I can understand from like a technical perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what mastery is like certain people, you know, it's like music is a great example. Um, I could right now play notes on a piano and that could be interesting for me, but that doesn't mean that somebody else is like gonna want to hear it. You know, like everyone can and should dance all the time. Like that is very important. You should dance and you should, you should dance and you should sing and you should doink on a piano or a drum or whatever the hell you want. But that doesn't mean that like, it's going to sound good to everyone or like everyone's oh. going to watch you. And that's also fine. Sharing yeah, your what's the function. What's it for? Yeah. Like your art for you is like for everyone is an artist. Everyone needs to connect to art and yeah. that can be all art forms, painting, cooking, whatever. It, it's, it's so important, but you may love cooking and I may think your cooking sucks and that's also fine. I don't yeah. need to consume all the art people make. People don't need to consume my art if they don't like it. I am fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we all have to be right. And there's plenty of people that will listen. So I'm glad that people are listening to you. Um, what can you, what What are you excited about as far as like the future of your content and your projects? Are there specific themes or projects that you're working on or that are upcoming that you think are really exciting? Um, so yeah, I've gotten really into this like concept of, of shows, of theater shows, because like as a stand-up comedian, I was just you know, you go into a space and you have 10, you know, you, I don't know, stand-up comedy. I love stand-up comedy. I, I really enjoy it. However, there is a way in which the format can feel limiting because, you know, you really got to have like a certain amount of laughs per minute. And like there you have 10 minutes sometimes. And how weird can you get with people in 10 minutes, especially within the context of like a stand-up comedy show where people are expecting something, you know? So the more I can do one person shows or two people shows like with my daughter, the more space and time I have to like really connect. And like, for me personally, being on stage is about collective healing. That's what I'm most motivated by. And like, I want, I want to have a healing experience. I want the audience to have a healing experience. I want the space to have a healing experience. Like that is what gets me most interested. So, you know, with the show I did with my daughter, go to your womb, it was really around like healing the mother father wound that we all have mainly the, the mother wound. Cause I'm a mother. Um, there's another show that I'm working on that I'm going to bring, I'm um, going to start performing soon called Grape Culture about 
rape culture. You know how you you can't say rape or you can say rape on social media, but a lot of times it gets flagged. And so that's with a friend of mine and her name's Sarah, um, Sarah Buckner. And we have just finished the show like writing and we're going to start performing it this spring. And it's all about, it's a comedy about rape culture. It's a tragic comedy about rape culture. Tragic comedy. And then I have another show that um, is a solo show called Men Come Inside of Me. And that one I'm going to be performing um, this winter and this spring and Men Come Inside of Me is just basically about like, I think there's a lot of conversation around like toxic masculinity. And so it's me looking at like the cultural conversation of toxic masculinity, but like how all of these toxic men live inside of me and how there is this way in which I relate to a lot of the things that we're criticizing men for. And that if there's ever going to be like a genuine healing that like we have to keep seeing ourselves and others like yes is it horrendous that trump was saying like grab him by the pussy and like they'll what he said is like horrible and then you have what's his nuts billy billy bob billy billy what's what was his name billy who's that guy the interviewer billy bob laughing you know you have trump saying the grab by the pussy and then you have the yeah but I know, so, but this is such an important topic. I'm so excited you're doing work on that. Like, how do you reconcile this thing about toxic masculinity, but we're all one thing? Yeah. And I have a dude inside of me that like sexually harasses women and just wants to, you know, it's like, I do, I I have a Trump in me. I, I, I do, you know, I don't want to admit it, but there is a part of me that, and it's like, I could say I'm, I'm brainwashed by the male gaze because then I sometimes bring the male gaze to how I look at women. But like, if I'm brainwashed by the male gaze and men are brainwashed by the male gaze, like we are brainwashed. Like we are all brainwashed to objectify each other, to use each other to be toxic to one another. So, you know, there's all these ways in which I've experienced toxic masculinity. And then, so if I just like look at it from like this place of like self-righteousness and like, well, I'm better than all these guys. How is that? How am I, how are the, I, I don't know. I, I'm interested in like wanting to understand myself in these men because I think then it's like, it's pulling apart the shame and guilt because that is how we're going to actually change as a society and culture. Like, how are we going to treat each other better if we don't untangle all the shame and guilt we have? Yes, that is really an interesting project because I don't even know how to tackle that. But there is something that isn't workable about the way that we're dealing with it. And so I'm so excited to see what that is. Um, yeah, and that might be, we're on the hour, so that might be a good place to... Um, stop but thank you so much for your time today tony i'm a little starstruck and <laughs> so thankful for your time and um i wish That's you could continued... a sweet thing to say oh well good i really mean it though um and i i wish you so much success and i hope that your future is just as delightful as all of your content is and as you are oh i'm gonna i'm gonna let that enter into my heart good I'm so glad that I'm so glad for this time. I really appreciate you so much. Yay. Well, thank you so much. And you have beautiful skin. Gosh. Well, thank you. Wow. Well, now we're both just totally enamored. <laughs> I was like the whole time. I was like, wow, she's got great skin. I wonder what wow. her skin is. That's very you should, nice. get, you should do a get ready with me. <laughs> Tell everyone your I skin. I don't know. I don't know why that kind of content is not my, I don't get, that's why. Cause I don't get ready. I don't do I, do I. Don't like this. <laughs> Yeah, neither do I. I
I just am. All right, but I thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your evening and I'll thank you all your content. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Have a great day. See you too.